Welcome back to Experts Only. I'm your host, John Powers. I'm the co-founder of Clean Capital and served as President Obama's Chief Sustainability Officer. On this podcast, we explore solutions to climate change by talking to industry leaders about the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance. You can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. Welcome to Direct Pay, What It Means for Solar and Storage Developers. I'm Carly Batten, Director of Marketing at Clean Capital, and I first want to thank you for joining us today. We're here to provide an overview of direct pay, what it is, how we expect it to move the clean energy industry forward, its status in Congress, and what you can do to help move it forward. Now, I'd like to introduce our panelists. First, my colleagues at Clean Capital, John Powers, co-founder and president, who will serve as moderator for today's conversation. Melinda Baglio, our Chief Investment Officer and General Counsel. We're also joined today by Shannon Banyaga from the Partnership for Clean Energy Investment. Chris Matthey, Head of Federal Policy and Business Development at STEM Incorporated. And Joshua Barabo, Vice President of Finance and Corporate Treasury at Amoresco. Thank you to all of our panelists for joining us. And with that, I'll turn it over to John. Carly, thanks so much. And thanks so much for everyone for joining. Um, as Carly said, my name is John Powers. I'm the president and co-founder of Clean Capital. But one of the reasons I wanted to put this webinar on today, in my previous role, I've sat in Washington on the other side of the table from advocates who've come in to talk about moving an agenda forward. And there's nothing more powerful than someone who comes from uh, not an industry group or a lobbying firm, but who's actually in the States doing the work. And what we're having this webinar today is to help drive you to action to help move forward a critical piece of the clean energy agenda, which is the 100% direct pay. So if you think about the role that uh, tax policy has played in our energy policy, it's significant. So in 2007, the Energy Security Act was passed by George Bush in a bipartisan way. It included the uh, uptick in the investment tax credit for solar and the PTC for wind. That has been an unbelievable economic boost to our industry and has helped drive us forward to where we are today, where the fundamentals of our industry are, are strong and we are, you know, have really grown as a, as a marketplace. What many of us have seen that are on the deal side is there continues to be a challenge right now between demand of projects and supply of tax equity. And one of the solutions for that is this concept of 100% direct pay. So today we're going to walk through what that is, how it's going to affect deals, how it's going to affect you as developers and other folks that are in the audience, and then really what you can do about it. Because really our ask today is not just to understand what's going on, but to take some action and help us push this over the goal line. So we can take 2022 and beyond and really continue to accelerate the market. So I'm going to start with Shannon, uh, who's from the Partnership for Clean Energy Investment. So first, Shannon, what is the Partnership for Clean Energy Investment? Thank you, John, and good morning, everyone. So the Partnership for Clean Energy Investment is a coalition of a broad base of stakeholders united in support of advocating for that one single issue you just described, 100% direct pay. It's our view that this one mechanism will truly be a game changer on America's ability to unlock infrastructure investment, unleash economic growth, and deliver on the climate and clean energy goals that we have. Further, we take a, a very holistic view of direct pay. Um, if an entity is qualified to receive a clean energy tax credit, 100% direct pay should be offered as an option for that entity to use. You know, the reason why we take that view is that we are going to need absolutely all of these clean energy technologies to meet our goals here. Absolutely. So. For folks that aren't familiar, can you, well, first of all, 
the reason this, the, the coalition is so important is a lot of us are part of industry groups that are in Washington pushing the clean energy agenda, but they have a whole plethora of things that they're asking for. The importance of the coalition is it's very focused on one specific ask and educating members and their staff on the importance of that ask. So just so people understand, can you talk about what 100% direct pay is? Absolutely. So 100% direct pay, and, and maybe I'll, I'll take a step back and expand a bit on that membership as, as you kind of teased out there. One of the things that was really important to us, as you you noted, this isn't to replicate a, a trade organization. Um, these trades are really, really valuable in everyone's different industries, but they also have a, a variety of uh, priorities, frankly, that they've got to get across. So the, the development of this coalition um, and the diversity of membership for this coalition was really important to us because, you know, our ability to put more clean energy projects in the ground affects every community, right? So, you know, we are we're comprised of the, a variety of stakeholders, developers such as yourself, utilities, public power, think tanks, trade groups, and others. In addition, we're working alongside a lot of the environmental NGOs here in Washington, energy purchasers, and other supply chain industries to really nail the nail the point about 100% direct pay. Um, so, so the 100% direct pay option works as an alternative to the current tax equity system that puts tax credits directly into action, improving our power system the way that Congress really intended. The tax equity system will continue to exist and thrive. <laughs> so for, for any financial institutions out there, this is not you know, a, a death knell at all um, for those that choose to utilize it. But under direct pay, entities that are eligible to receive clean energy tax credits, such as the ITC or PTC, which we've touched on, would receive the equivalent funds directly rather than a tax credit that either has to be you know, monetized later or in some instances like nonprofits and public power can never be monetized because they don't have sufficient tax liability to do so. So one of the reasons this is so important is that as I, as I mentioned, we're expanding the, the variety of clean energy technologies necessary to, to meet our clean energy and, and climate goals here. You know, as Congress expands that pool of recipients for PTC and ICC, the tax equity market is equally flooded with proposals from, you know, across the entire clean energy spectrum, storage, solar, hydro, biofuels, hydrogen, carbon capture, uh, transmission. I could, I could probably go on for, for too long here. You know, it's really important that you know, we offer all the tools that we possibly can to, to make the most efficient gains here on our clean energy goals. And Chan, it's important for the audience to understand that we're not saying direct pay versus an IPC extension, correct. right? This is this is together. It's an additional tool in our toolkit, correct? Absolutely. We're not undercutting the value of these other priorities, such as the extension of other federal you know, tax credits or storage ITC. But we are saying, you know, those those things will suffer the same fate as what we've experienced so far, right? An inability for developers to really monetize the development that Congress intended. Um, you know, the finance community, I think, recognizes the constraints here. Uh, you know, I think one of the stats that came out um, late last year from Bloomberg was, you know, 59% of solar projects and 67% of wind projects that were scheduled to start construction in 2020 going into this year were still in need of tax equity financing. You know, Marshall Salen over at Citigroup uh, noted in an S&P article recently that there's never been enough, you know, tax equity dollars to supply all of the good projects. So this isn't a reflection on, on you know, due diligence or, or anything. It's just a, a matter of you know, this constraint and the way that direct pay would 
really present clean energy developers with a more efficient means of financing these projects. And it, and it doesn't rely on the financial institutions weighing out their own tax liability before engaging with those developers at the end of the day. And for folks that are for, regarding the, the partnership, are you guys still accepting members? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I know we'll we'll touch on a bit later, but you know we are we are definitely in French time right now. Uh, the next you know three weeks are are a very crucial moment in our advocacy. Uh, we're accepting members. Happy to happy to reach out to anyone that's interested. I know we'll put up our uh, contact information at the end of the webinar here. And here's my used car salesman pitch. It's no cost to you, so you can join the <laughs> membership and and influence what's going on. So. Absolutely. Melinda, I want to talk for a second about what the 100% tax equity, uh, 100% direct pay does for driving efficiency, changing economics, driving innovation, and really, you know, driving equality for the industry. Can you talk for a second about what clean capital is first, and then talk about how we this will affect financing projects? Absolutely, John. Thanks for the intro, um, and thank you, Carly. Um, so, just a quick intro on clean capital. Clean capital is an Energy, a clean energy investment platform. We focus on the uh, middle market clean energy technology. So solar projects ranging from under a megawatt up to maybe 20, 25 megawatts um, that we then aggregate together into attractive financing and investment portfolios. Um, we, uh, we've been around since about 2016, um, and we've in that time deployed about $850 million in acquisitions for, uh, operating a new build solar projects. I think what kind of distinguishes clean capital from, from a lot of, uh, uh, companies out there that do similar work is our, um, our ability to work quickly and efficiently. Um, we, uh, have partnered with a number of, uh, developers, um, and clean energy sellers to uh, to build to build our portfolio pretty quickly over the last several years. Um, I think we've closed four transactions in 2021, whatever year we're in, 2021, and we're now in. I think we've acquired assets in over 19 state or in 19 states. So we've got a lot of experience kind of working across, you know, several different jurisdictions. So that's kind of clean capital in a nutshell. Um, getting into tax equity. I want to piggyback on some of the some of the things that Shannon mentioned in her presentation. So just taking a step back, she she sort of mentioned this is going to be like a quick tax equity 101, how it works, right? So she mentioned that a lot of folks are not able to monetize the tax credits that come in the form of the PTC or the ITC because they don't have the tax liability. And so what, what happens is they wind up partnering with a bank or a corporate entity that does have the tax app, uh, tax appetite to monetize the tax credits. Um, and you wind up having another um, financing party that's part of your deal. Um, so as you're building up your capital stack, you've got your sponsor equity, your tax equity, and then typically you'll have debt on top of that as well. Um, and that's how folks have been able to actually monetize the tax credits when they don't have their own tax liability. Um, you can imagine that that leads to a lot of complexity, just adding another third party financing entity into the mix. Um, you've got multiple parties doing the same due diligence. You're paying multiple law firms to do the same due diligence. You've got a separate set of financing documents. Um, so it can get pretty messy, pretty complex, you know, pretty quickly, just having that extra layer on there. Um, it also, uh, it caps the amount of debt that you can raise on your project because you've got this tax equity partnership in between your projects and your debt. Um, you have less cash available to pay debt service. So you're not able to leverage the projects as much as you might otherwise. 
So, you know, it, it's a it's a great system. It's, um, you know, we've got some great partners that we've worked with on third-party tax equity, but it does add complexities to the process. And for us in particular, when, you, when you're looking at these smaller projects in the CNI space where, where clean capital really excels, you know, the, the more you layer on additional um, costs for diligence and legal fees, you know, you feel it a lot more. The other big issue is on timing. So when you're bringing in a third-party tax equity investor, you need to have them come into the deal before the before the project is actually operational. So going back to what you said, John, about how you can't always find the tax equity financing when you need it, this happens year after year. In the beginning of the year, you've got this, you know, these great projects, and particularly if like clean capital, you've got kind of smaller projects. You need to aggregate those to a size that that then becomes attractive to third-party tax equity, which is you know where we excel, but we see a lot of developers struggle with. But you may struggle to find tax equity early on in the year. At the end of the year, a lot of times you have folks raising their hand and saying, "Oh, wait, I have you know I have extra availability this year." But by then, it's probably too late because you've either decided to scrap the project or you've you know kind of found a different path forward. Um, so there's timing issues that come up that that also lead to a lot of uncertainty when you're dealing with a third-party tax equity provider. So I think that's sort of the, the background here on the, on the challenges of our current system. Getting into direct pay, obviously it's less complex because you won't have um, that third-party tax equity provider. You won't need to bring in a third-party tax equity provider. Typically the way I, I've seen these deals structured back when we had direct pay, you know, 10 years or so ago, the cash grant program that, um, that was in place Typically, these deals are structured with you've got your one senior lender. Um, you don't have third-party tax equity, but you may have a tax equity bridge loan, or sorry, a tax credit. We used to call them cash grant bridge loans. I guess they'd be called direct pay bridge loans, or whatever we decide to call it um, uh, once we get direct pay implemented. Fingers crossed. Um, but it would usually come from your same financing party, so you're still just working with one uh, kind of set of lenders and one um, one set of uh, legal on the lender and financing party diligence side. So that's on the complexity of the legal structure. From a commercial perspective, it's great. You can raise more debt on these projects. Um, and typically you can, as a developer, earn a higher developer fee by you know, m- removing this additional uh, piece of the capital stack. And when you, for instance, when you work with Clean Capital, you, we'll handle all the capital stack side for you. But I think the key from what Melinda's laying out is it's going to bring efficiency uh, to the transactions, and it's also going to bring better economics to, to to everybody at the table, including the developers. So, you know, it's a really exciting path uh, to help really get more projects in the ground more quickly. Um, I want to go next. You know, Melinda talked about the efficiency and economics. I want to talk for a second about innovation and equality and what direct pay can do for that. And I'm going to turn to Josh. You know, Josh Amoresco is working nationwide and. Uh, with developers and developing your own projects. Can you talk for a second about uh, what Amoresco does? Sure. Yeah. So thanks for having us, everybody. Good morning. Uh, Amoresco is a leading clean tech solutions integrator. Um, We are a public company. We were founded in 2000. We have just about a billion in sales um, and, uh, and, and pretty healthy profit margins. We have a portfolio of over 300 megawatts of energy assets that we've developed and uh, currently own and operate. It's a, a little bit heavily skewed, a little bit more heavily skewed towards solar, but we have um, almost 100 megawatts of biogas assets on the portfolio as well. Um, we have some wind and we have some some standalone battery storage too. We operate in North America as well as the UK, 
And um, back to our energy asset portfolio, we have almost uh, over also over 300 megawatts of a similar mix of biogas and solar battery and what we call energy as a service assets in construction or in development. And while we're an asset owner and asset developer, we're also um, what's called an energy efficiency or ESCO company, where uh, we serve primarily government, municipal and federal government customers, as well as CNI customers to do um, some pretty deep energy retro retrofits, things uh, as sophisticated and advanced as advanced building controls, microgrids, and again, distributed generations I've talked about, as well as things that aren't so uh, exciting, but certainly help save our customers money uh, in terms of uh, water savings and electricity savings, lights, motors, drives, um, shower heads, things like that. So that's that's Amoresco. Um, I think the question yeah. was about innovation. Yeah, so, let me frame it up. If, okay, if, you, if you think about, no, it's okay. If you think about the market today, there is a, there's more demand uh, than there is supply of tax equity. So a, a tax equity provider, Mm-hmm. Right, really has to choose between possibly a vanilla solar project or a more complex project that in, that involves a variety of innovations. How will direct pay really help move the innovation side forward? Well, well, so I think it, there's there's two things. It's not only just complexity uh, in terms of the technology. If you're adding battery to solar. Or if there's some other nuance to maybe the revenue piece of it, um, if you've got multiple off-takers or if you're in uh, what I believe are some confusing state regimes that have just variable net metering credits and there's recalculations and things like that. But also just project size. It's To your point, a one a small asset portfolio takes just about the same amount of, we'll call it legal expense, diligence, headaches, paperwork as a project's 10x or 100x that size. And so in an environment where there's limited limited human capacity at a tax equity firm, uh, these the, the majority of tax equity is sourced from very large multinational banks who have hundreds of thousands of employees, but the tax equity group is actually very small. If they only have a small team of a few people to deploy X number of billions per year, they're going to have to chase where the highest returns are on their time. They can't direct five people to do a million-dollar deal. They need to direct those same five people to do a billion-dollar deal or a hundred million-dollar deal. And in this, but the same thing goes for complexity. If it's a, if it's a vanilla utility-scale deal, if there's ever such a thing that checks the box of hundred million or two hundred million of capital deployed, that doesn't require them to do a whole lot of thinking. Where in the sense that they've done it before, they know the diligence, they know the players, they know what the IE report looks like, the environmental, et cetera. If they need to um, do diligence and sort of convince a credit committee or an investment committee um, or a tax committee of why it makes sense to add a whole bunch of other things, whether it's a battery, a fuel cell, a wind, a microgrid, whatever it is, all this complex technology, or why it makes sense to be in a variable uh, end market where there's maybe some merchant revenues or capacity sales, et cetera, et cetera. They just don't have the time to do that. It's a, it's a bang for the buck type of thing. So if you take them out of the equation, that's, as uh, Melinda was saying, one less group of people and group of attorneys, group of consultants doing diligence that need to get comfortable with something that a developer like ourselves or some of the folks listening here are trying to innovate to try to create solutions for customers that that meet a customer's need, not a bank's need. You know, and a similar trend, not just around innovation, but also around equality. If you look at things like low and moderate income communities for community solar, you know, the current regime and tax equity, you know, doesn't give any credit to that. And most likely would be, as you mentioned, looking at large scale utility opportunities to put hundreds of millions versus smaller community solar project that connects to LMI. Uh, mm-hmm. So there is there's an argument this is also going to help drive equality across the industry as well. 
I would tend to agree with that. If I may, I think John or some combination of John and Melinda were saying that this could improve the economics um, within the value chain. I might try to go a little controversial here in the sense that I actually don't think that's the case. If, if If it helps anybody out, it probably helps the customer, which is probably a good thing. But what I've seen, and I've been in the solar industry and renewables industry for over 15 years, and we've seen a lot of compression in pretty much every piece of the value chain whether it's the the hardware itself 